Selling with love to me means solving a genuine problem. Like what problem does the person you're selling to have and is your solution a genuine solution to that problem? Plug into the minds of the world's cutting-edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders who are rewriting the rules of sales and success. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Selling with Love podcast. This is your host, Jason Mark Campbell. I'm really, really excited to have a great conversation today. A good friend of mine, Nicole Gibson, have been taking the stage back in the days when I was at Mind Valley and really talking about how to lead with purpose, having passion, a powerful vision, wanting to make a change in the world, using the word love in a lot of her initiatives, which of course I had a bias towards having a preference for, because it's really a thing that we are looking to see happen in the world right now, where it seems that the powers may be are not necessarily leading us to a higher vibration, making us have a more conscious community. And I'm seeing someone like Nicole out in the world and preaching what does it look like when we start leading with this new paradigm paradigm that makes us more aligned and actually do the kinds of businesses that are healing the world. She is a serial entrepreneur from a very young age and has been the author of a best-selling book, is working on an app that is going to actually allow us to get more in touch with our truth, which I want us to unpack today, and truly an innovator, modern-day philosopher, which is so needed in today's age. And I love the fact that her vision is all about helping mental health and making a huge huge rise in human consciousness to happen by the year 2030. So I'm so excited to be here with Nicole Gibson. Welcome, Nicole. Thank you so much, Jason. Beautiful introduction. You've heard it in the official introduction of the podcast. I'm giving a big warm welcome to Nicole Gibson to the show. Jason, thank you so much. What a beautiful introduction. Well, it's my pleasure to see you again. I know we've been in touch for, oh my God, when was the first time? Probably what? Is it a decade ago that we've connected? When was the first time you came to like a Mind Valley event? Uh, definitely wasn't a decade ago. Do not tell me that. It was 2016. All right. So, well, seven years, is it? So still, still pretty good. Well, I'm not going to skip my default question. I love to ask when I bring people on the show. So you're on a Selling with Love podcast. So I have to ask, what do you sell? It sounds terrible to say that I sell love, doesn't it? So, I mean, that's definitely there. I do I do feel a big responsibility to sell love to the world as a concept, as an idea, as a way of life. That's got to be number one. And then number two, which is really, you know, part of the reason I believe we're not embracing love as much as we can be, is to sell people emotional capacity, not just emotional awareness, but the real capacity to be with the depth of the human experience and be with the depth of other people's humanity and, and life at large actually requires so much more than just uh, you know a simple desire or even an awareness. It takes a level of fitness in our nervous system to actually achieve that. Well, your words of saying you're selling love doesn't come across that strange on a Selling With Love podcast. I've had people come and question me saying like, are we talking about using your sexuality to sell? And I'm like, no, no, no. 
And in the same way that you're speaking about love, I know that's a powerful message. You're talking about loving out loud as the big brand that you speak about as well. But I know this comes to a catalyst of, you know, something you've been witnessing in the environment. Like we're seeing a bit of tensions happening. It feels like we're dividing more into like tribes opposing each other at, at a global scale. And so what got you to be so fully dedicated to this mission of bringing more world? And what have you noticed in the environment that makes it that it's such a required initiative right now? Yeah, it's a really important question. You know, I think we're living in a rapidly accelerating society where our need to digest input and our amygdala and nervous system's ability to handle that input is at an all-time high. And part of the human design, you know, neurologically, is when we're met with a really complex situation, our brain is looking for a way to simplify and with everything that the world's been through in the past few years, and I think, you know, that there was a buildup to um, the pandemic even prior, we were seeing an epidemic of loneliness, of mental ill health, of digital addiction. All of these things existed prior to the pandemic, but we've just seen an acceleration now of it. And so many world events from, you know, wars to the global pandemic to, you know, kids not being able to go to school and people's businesses not being able to survive what we've been through the past years and everything in between. There's so much complexity and there's actually so much need for nuance and the embracing of differences of perspective. But I think in so many ways, and fear is a, a major reason for this as well, in order to protect ourselves there's always going to be a temptation to overly simplify, which is where we find this really boxed, linear, black and white thinking. You're either red or blue, you're either this or that, rather than understanding that life in its entirety is a spectrum of diversity. And intelligence, true intelligence, is the ability to actually be with contradiction, handle contradiction and paradox without needing to make it one way or the other way. And that's where I think emotional capacity and an orientation towards a love-based way of life is really our greatest asset in being able to come to that place of wholeness and, and unity. You know, I hear this and it sounds like it's just bringing a lot of humanity to the way that we're operating, even in the business world. And I'd love to challenge something with you, which is for somebody paying attention to this, looking to, you know, maybe they're an entrepreneur, maybe they're a salesperson, they're hearing this and like, that sounds good. If I want to be a hippie, you know, not doing any kind of revenue activity, but I want to build a mission, I want to make an impact. How the hell does that even translate into something I can apply into my work? I mean, it's, it's such a funny question to me <laughs> in, in the sense that 80% um, or more, it's 80% at a minimum of our decision-making is emotional. And so when you're talking to people that, you know, have created this segregation of, you know, this this is either an emotional topic or I'm talking about scaling and building a really epic company, and these are two separate conversations, what we're kind of missing in that equation is as a decision maker, and probably if you're at the helm of a company that is fast scaling and driving a lot of revenue, your decision-making power is the greatest asset you have until you learn to actually harness and understand your emotions. You're missing out on 80% of your potential until you learn to completely emotionally regulate and come to a place of equanimity and centeredness. Essentially your orientation, you know, towards uh, rationality is going to be compromised in one way or another. And so understanding emotion is really understanding the power we have to make decisions and actually be in control of our destiny and feel a sense of agency 
you know, you see a lot of people that have this attitude towards business growth who end up, you know, deeply unhappy. And why is that? Well, I would argue it's because there's so many undercurrents of repression that are running the show and creating a situation where that person feels like their sovereignty is compromised and they're in some kind of you know, prison that they've created for themselves and there's a different way. But we need to invite these layers of the human experience to the table, not just as like an additional part of the the human experience, but actually as the essential, integral, dominant part of the human experience. We are emotional creatures. To suggest otherwise is really, I think it just points to either a lot of repression in, in oneself or we just you know, I think many of us haven't been educated. Yeah. Would you agree with the fact that it seems like we've seen a lot of examples of companies in the past that have done that separation, right? That are like, we're building, like we're not operating like humans, business is business, right? And it's like, even the media reinforces a lot of these stereotypes, which is like, you know, business is cutthroat. There's no emotion there. People get laid off. We don't care about it. And then we start thinking like, oh my God, is that the only way to be successful? And what I find fascinating is I look at someone like you, like, You've got these major technologies that are launching. You have your own foundation and you're doing so many successful things. And that's, you know, by going against the grain of that kind of ideology. So is that why we have still that kind of dichotomy in our head? Is it because we've been shown through media or what's going on here? It is such a multi-layered question, the question you're asking. I think there's individual layers of the things that we have individually experienced in our own life that has caused basically, you know, pain and We've made decisions at some point, probably during childhood, where we've been like, I don't want to feel that. And we then seek to move to places where we feel comfortable, where we feel safe and where we feel in control, ultimately. And if there's been things that we've experienced through our life that make us feel out of control, disempowered, afraid, rejected, etc., then until we really understand how to integrate those parts of ourselves we're naturally going to want to reject, you know, those things. So we make our decisions in alignment with that. And then you've got a family layer, you know, what were the values, the beliefs and the context that you grew up in? And then you've got a societal layer, you know, and which is deeply rooted in culture as well. What were the beliefs uh, around the cultures you grew up in? And then we've got a civilization, you know, on top of that, which is demanding and driving more pace, more return all the time, we haven't quite caught up yet from an evolutionary standpoint on how to be fully ourselves. And we've never before been exposed to so many messages that are telling us who to be. You know, the level of expectation is higher than it's ever been. And I think we're in a really interesting era now because, you know, the era we're in is a postmodern era. But that's now moving to such an extreme where there's almost this proposition that my subjective experience is the only experience that matters. And there's this kind of, I think, desire to want to deny the existence of objective truth in a, in our world, which is creating, I think, you know, there's more conflict because we can't just debate our subjective opinions all the time and expect to get to some kind of conclusion other than maybe let's agree to disagree at best. And I would say that that's almost like a retaliation of how disempowered many of us are feeling in the world. So in order to claim that power, this really ultra postmodern philosophy, which is 
everything that I say is true inside my subjective experience others must agree with is a way of almost fighting back against how disoriented we feel in the context of the modern day. Jeez. Well, you touched on a lot of things there, and I'm feeling everything you're saying because it's kind of a representation of like what we're exposed to every day. And there's this sense of like, dare I say, hopelessness. Like there's there's movement that seems to be moving in the opposite direction. And like you said, I don't feel able to handle all of this high volume of content information and negativity and all these things that are happening on a global scale. So, I mean, you're taking a lot of initiatives to help individuals. I know that. But for someone who's just maybe listening to this and right now going like, all right, you just hit me with the reality, but like, what now? Like, what are some of the things we need to start paying attention to so that, you know, we're actually working towards a civilization of love, which I know is a big initiative that kind of anchors your North Star. Mm. Yeah, it's a great question. And I think I see this as the layers of responsibility. You know, until we're responsible for ourselves, we're not going to be able to be responsible for our family. Until we're responsible for our family, we're not probably going to be adequately responsible for our friends and then broader community. And then eventually, you know, maybe there's some kind of entrepreneurial pursuit and you become responsible for your team, your customers, clients. And then depending on how big that vision is, potentially all of humanity, but we need to address these one at a time because they're building blocks that are ultimately a foundation. And I think part of where we've gone wrong in society is, you know, we're sold this idea of self-actualization and purpose, but these other layers in our lives haven't been addressed. And you can still probably go and get, you know, short-term success. Like there are many founders, for instance, that are running away from childhood wounds and achieved significant success, but have broken families and broken hearts. And, you know, there's a lot they haven't really addressed or dealt with in their own life. And I would say there's going to be an upper limit because the foundation of integrity that they're built on hasn't been there. And like, none of us are perfect in this way. I had deep childhood wounds of not feeling seen. I went through anorexia for many years as an adolescent and that showed up all the time. It's a very vulnerable thing to look at ourselves and actually be honest and earnest, like radically honest with ourselves and ask, where am I truly lacking, you know, the proper layers of integrity in my responsibility and the word responsibility literally meaning response able so i want to i want us to explore that idea through its very definition where am i not able to respond where am i paralyzed where am i avoidant where am i shut down where am i using logic to try to reject you know someone's emotion or my own emotion yeah, because until those things are addressed, you know, you're compromised in one way or another as a leader. So to someone that's listening to this and they agree, but they don't know where to begin, beginning isn't tackling a war on the other side of the world. You know, beginning is not going and starting a company that serves all of humanity tomorrow. Beginning is where can my life become more whole on an individual level, maybe a family level, and really doing that work first seeing how that will take you on a journey of actually learning how to meaningfully resolve conflict, you know, heal, become more whole, become more emotionally conscious and aware, empathetic. We really severely dismiss, you know, the importance of empathy and consideration. And that begins with ourselves. Many of us are very hard on ourselves and critical, and then we can't 
offer that empathy, we will ultimately enable in someone else what we're not willing to address in ourselves. And so think about, I mean, I just wrote a second book called Legacy Disorder, and it explores the idea of our relationship with legacy being severely compromised through the modern day. And one of the things I really address in the book is often we'll aspire to achieve this, you know, this legacy that's so beyond our existing reality, which in one way is, I guess, very inspiring. But if we're not conscious of how we make people feel day to day, if we're not actually being the embodiment of that legacy, like if you have a legacy that is to liberate all of humanity, do you feel liberated? If you have a mission to create a more loving world, are you actually in love with your life right now? And if the answer is no, if there's a deep incongruence there, then it's not that you're unable to go and pursue that thing, but the quality of the pursuit is going to be massively compromised. The quality of the pursuit being massively compromised. I absolutely love what you're saying right now. And what I find very interesting is that the moment you started talking about those with success that operate from a place of being possibly wounded um, seem to be the only examples of hyper successful people. And I don't know for any listeners, but I know for me, I had the, the, the vision of a few of these leaders that are in the media a lot that we know have deep, uh, deep wounds and, they're pushing for a mission that seems to be like running away from their own problems. And now I'm going to switch it around because I'm actually talking about them. But I feel like even in my own initiatives, it's like, I want to impact the world. I want to, you know, help everybody. And then it's like, wait, you just told me I need to work with myself, my family, my community. Like that seems too sensitive, Nicole. Why don't you tell me something where I don't need to deal with my shit and I can just say everyone else is wrong? <laughs> Is that the usual pushback you get? I mean, no one's usually that honest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, if, if people are coming into our community and ecosystem, there's there's a readiness to a degree, and that's the beauty, I guess, of having a company called Love Out Loud. <laughs> but of course, you know, and there's always going to be a resistance to the things that make us most vulnerable. And I really want to emphasize that, like, of course, it's going to be more difficult to reach out maybe to that family member that you haven't spoken with in years and say, I'm ready to come to the table. I'm ready to see what it's going to take to have forgiveness and peace between us. I'm ready to share how I actually feel and step out of blame. Of course, that's going to be harder when it's, you know, someone that's broken our heart. And this is what a lot of people don't understand. I think success can sometimes act as a platform to escape our vulnerability. And often, I actually talk a lot about this in legacy disorder. What tends to happen is because we have such an emphasis on success as a society, it kind of blinds like the rest of society's citizens to the idea that someone could have these vulnerabilities and inadequacies if they're successful. It's kind of like we see success. And I think we do this with beauty as well as this kind of blanket. Like if you have financial success or you're really beautiful, then you obviously have no other problems because we have, you know, pushed, pushed for that so much. We put so much emphasis and value on these ideas as a world that it just blinds us from seeing the humanity. And then it's a really difficult place for someone that has achieved a high level of 
success by society standards, but still has these vulnerabilities, these insecurities, these wounds, because no one really believes that they're vulnerable. So they're, they're not really challenged, you know? And yeah, it's a real mess. And it's a prism that really needs deconstruction on many, many layers. And the point I make in the book is the starting point is for us to come back to a place of self-empowerment, to understand what our power is and what sovereignty means for us in our own lives, because then we're not going to have these power imbalances that exist in the world. You know, the fact that we can have a few people that make decisions on behalf of an entire world, the fact that 98% of the world's wealth is in the, the top 1%. These are energetic indications that on an individual level, many of us don't understand our own power. And so that's really where we need to begin. Mm. I know part of that is, you know, we have to actually have a bit more of our self-awareness, developing our own truth. And I know that you are developing a technology that's actually helping a lot with that. But there's a lot of people that look at technology as a negative aspect that's causing all the problems that we see today. So I'd love to just hear what your relationship is with the evolving technology of today's age and what part does it play in helping us kind of get that self-awareness and heal. Yeah, I mean, the blanket statement that technology is the problem or technology is bad, again, it's like an oversimplification to try to process a very complex landscape because what do you mean by technology, first of all? Before I started developing tech, I thought tech was an iPhone. Well, no, technology is a set of infrastructure. You know, there's many things you can do with metal. You wouldn't say all metal is bad. You know, technology is code and... I think the operative thing is actually to ask more questions about the design. How are we designing technology? What are the questions that are informing that design? A question I ask a lot in my industry to other founders is, what is the story of technology? Um, what story is your technology writing for humanity? If your technology was in the hands of every single person tomorrow, what landscape does that create? And I think the absence of these questions, and there is a real absence of these questions, by the way, because we're living in a world where essentially our economy, especially technologically, relies on attention. So it's more about taking the person away from themselves than it is bringing them back to themselves because the longer they will spend on your platform or whatever it is, the more profit you're going to make. But that's a design flaw. You know, there's many other ways we can create value and design technology as something that's very intuitive and not taking away from our experience of the everyday, not compromising our connection to reality and the natural world. And I think that that's brilliant. I think that that's visionary. I think that that's necessary. You know, when there's a time that I can see an augmented reality kind of layer over my natural environment and I'm no longer needing to have my head down on an iPhone, and it's actually now a part of my environment and it's intuitive, to me, that's brilliant design. That's enhancing my experience, not changing my experience and then sucking my intention into something very narrow. Yeah, so I, I like to apply that kind of idea. And I would say as a non-technical technical founder, I bought a very different lens and approach as someone that had spent their whole life working with people i'm very very big on human-centered design and really thinking about how the design of a technology is going to um, show up for someone day to day and what that is going to mean on a broader level 
we were talking just before you you just came back from a trip from San Francisco, so I'd assume you were around a lot of these large tech companies. Are you seeing a trend of wanting to create more human-centered approaches, or are you finding yourself you need to be doing a lot of disruption because these tech companies happen to have enormous power in shaping our behavior because we adopt those technologies at a mass scale? So I'd be curious to know what the sentiment on the ground. Yeah, 100%. I think it's a term that's used a lot, but I would say the way that it's used in application is more around understand human behavior so that you can control human behavior. <laughs> rather than how do we truly design technology that's ergonomic and integrated and really beneficial for the human, for their mind, for their nervous system. I do not think those questions are being asked anywhere near enough. Yes, there's a, there's a minority of us that are spearheading that conversation. And I've asked the question, why? And I think, you know, the simplest answer I could give is many people that think this way are not working in technology. So the need for intersectional design, the need for people that are more maybe creative, artistic, like philosophical, we need those minds working in technology right now. Yeah. I even want to take it to the place where for somebody tuning in and possibly being an entrepreneur, and I love how you talked about, you know, technology not just being the bits and the bytes that we see, but anybody who has any kind of business kind of packages something together to deliver value could almost be extracted to a point of seeing that there's a technology behind that process. Are there steps you recommend for anybody as an entrepreneur who's maybe at a smaller scale on how to bring a lot more humanity into their own design of how they deliver value? Definitely, yeah. I would say start with asking the question, what do you want your customer to feel? So important and so missed. <laughs> what do you actually want them to feel? And what's the journey you want to take them on? And everything that you design, you know, especially in your digital footprint where you don't have the, you know, the opportunity to really connect with them one-on-one, -on -one, how can you add those little details? You know, branding is a big part of this. Um, user experience design is a big part of this. That is going to emanate that thing that you want people to feel. If that's, again, if it's love, if it's joy, if it's gratitude, if it's inspiration to act now, you know, there's ways of, again, designing all of the touch points that make up your company to be more aligned to that. And I think talk to your consumer. It's, it's such a simple thing. And I've seen companies spend hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars on customer research and these kinds of things. And, you know, they'll pay consultants to go and do these extravagant reports before they actually sit down on a call with their customer and ask them what they want and what they need and what they're struggling with. <laughs> I've witnessed that myself. I mean, my whole tenet around selling with love is like, you got to love the customer you're selling to. And it's like, yeah, surveys are great. And you get some data point, but like speaking to the customers and just feeling them out gives you this level of understanding that I think is so missed in anything else that's of a quantifiable metric. It's almost like we have to reconnect with the soul of the people we deal with. And we're living in an age where we're automating so much of what it takes to build the business with AI, but there's still that level of soul that is feeling like it's being missed out even more significantly now. So I'd be curious to know if you're seeing any trends for 2024. Is this one of the best habits to work on to be able to kind of thrive or stand out and do well in 2024? Are there things we should be looking out for as we peer into the future? Well, I think, you know, to circle back to the beginning of our conversation, 
it is an absolute ninja power in today's world to not be threatened by differences of opinion, to be an effective facilitator, effective communicator, to know how to bring people together that have very polarized perspectives. This is incredibly valuable in our world today, and it's incredibly rare, and it takes a high level of development on yourself to really get to a place of true self-security to be able to facilitate that. So I would say start there. You know, your emotional intelligence, awareness, capacity, your ability to empathize. Second to that, I think that we're going through a renaissance right now and there's a huge opportunity in that. Like, yes, some of the most intelligent people, Silicon Valley is a great example of this, that have access to most capital, have a completely considerable advantage to someone else. And all systems are about to be radically transformed. So for those audacious enough and those you know, game enough, it is a very exciting time. And I would say choose the the system that you're most passionate about. Is it health? Is it education? Is it is it tech? Is it governance? Whatever. And really think about the opportunity that we're on the precipice of because all of these systems will majorly innovate in the next 10 years. There's no shortage of things to be done. You know, this idea that AI is going to put people out of business, it's like, well, yeah, jobs that we were previously paid to do won't exist anymore, but there's not going to be a shortage of things to work on. And that should be embraced, in my opinion, because prior to 2020, I would say 99% of the workforce were, were, were dying to not have to work, you know, or to, to feel more inspired in their jobs. So really see that as an opportunity and I know that's challenging because change is always hard and there's definitely going to be inevitable points of suffering, I think, but that can be massively minimized when more of us adopt a difference in perspective around what we're going through right now as a world. I definitely agree with that. And it's kind of exciting and terrifying at the same time, but I think we're all going to be along for the ride. And I think with advocates in the world like you that are pushing for the raise of consciousness, like we need a love army that is getting people to kind of do that integration work, to do just like all of the basic things that we keep to neglect, take caring of yourself, becoming more self-aware, seeing the small changes you can do in your community and realizing that when you come from that filled space, you can make radical waves in the world. And, you know, seeing someone like you already making radical waves at such a young age is so fantastic to see. I'm very excited to see your in-truth technologies be released. And I want to encourage everybody here. I'm going to give you some links where you can go and discover more about the Love Out Loud movement, discover more from Nicole and look at her technology, which is really on the cutting edge to help us push consciousness forward. Forward. And of course, I don't let you go without the signature question I need to ask everyone who does come on the show, Nicole, which is, you are on the Selling with Love podcast. So what does selling with love mean to you? Selling with love, to me, means solving a genuine problem. You know, like what problem does the person you're selling to have? And is your solution a genuine solution to that problem? That's integrity that's congruence and i think you know ultimately that's love nicole 
Thank you so much for your time. This was a fantastic conversation. For everybody tuning in, the biggest things I take away from this is, number one, regardless of the mission that you're on, the first mission you have to understand is by having self-awareness and understanding how you're showing up in the world is going to be a ripple to the impact you're trying to do to that world. So if you're feeling incomplete or you're not feeling happy in what you're trying to create, there's going to be a bit of a taintness or, or corruption to your ultimate vision. So you have to go back to that inner work, even though it feels maybe like it's, ah, oh, is this really what I have to do? I have this big mission. Making that solid first prevents us from having perverted visions that might actually cause more problems than solve them. I love that there is a lot of the influence that causes us to operate in the way that we are, but we're finally emerging to realize that when you operate from principles of love, caring, wanting to do an impact, there's such a big opportunity waiting for those who are going to embrace this wave of change that is coming. And so for you to listen to this show, follow people like Nicole, will put you in a position that you can play a part in this bigger mission. But it definitely does start with yourself. I had a ton of joy and a lot of fun going through this conversation. Nicole, thank you for being a fellow soldier in the army of love. I'm very excited about all the projects you're working on and I'm glad to be a supporter as well. Thank you so much, Jason, for your work and the opportunity. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast.